And hopefully I can just dig some people out of the hustle trap and give them the freedom that they deserve. Because doing what you do, getting a business from like zero to a million, like bravo, but you deserve now to like access what that next level of, which is the freedom and the autonomy that entrepreneurship buys you. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. My book, Relentless, is now available everywhere books can be bought online, including Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Try your local indie bookstore too, and if they don't have it, they can order it. Just ask them. The reviews are streaming in, and I'm so thankful for the positive feedback, as well as hearing from people that my memoir has impacted them positively. It is not enough to be resilient. You have to be relentless. You can go to therelentlessbook.com for more information. Thank you so much. Ryan Crownholm founded his first company, a junk removal and hauling business, which surpassed $1 million in revenue by the time he graduated from college. Over the following decade, he ventured into other sectors, including a chain of recycling centers, a general engineering business, a property preservation company, a limo bus service, and several other enterprises. He has since transitioned into the construction technology industry, launching a nationwide construction drafting service and a marketplace for dirt. Ryan generously devotes his time to mentoring veterans and the formerly incarcerated, empowering them to rebuild their lives through entrepreneurship. Now let's get right into it. I think a lot of it is giving back. I've spent 20 plus years growing businesses. I've had a pretty horrible accident in 2007. And then I just got over a bout of cancer. And something about that is like, got me in panic mode of like, like getting all the information I've learned over 20 years out. And so I've been mentoring a lot more people and working with, working with guys that are getting out of prison and veterans and other people that I can help. And so that's been a lot of my time has been focused there. So I understand because of your past and your history, why you might work with veterans and how you have access to them, but I'm not clear on prisons. So can you walk me through that and also explain to the listeners your tie with veterans? Sure. Well, first off, I'm a veteran and they both actually sort of tie together because when I got out of the military in 1999, I actually went to my parents' house and I stayed there for a while, but two weeks later, the house burned down and ended up like sleeping in my car and I had nothing. I had a 1982 Honda Accord that was like covered in dents and rust. And that was all I had to my name. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I just looked within and said, you know, what do I have? What can I leverage? And I was very strong. I could do manual labor. I could outwork anyone. So I could work 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And my body was good with it. Like it's, it's actually what I love. And so I said, okay, cool. I'll leverage that. And I leveraged that into originally a hauling company, which by the time I graduated college was a million dollar company. And then later grew it to a multi-million dollar, you know, demolition general engineering company. And so the tie with the guys that are getting out of prison is like, they are landing on their ass. They have nothing. 
they're very motivated. The ones that make it through the Defy program have like dedicated a lot of time and energy. And they're the guys who are like, listen, I went to prison. A lot of them were like young men that are 25 and under that don't have guidance do really, really dumb stuff. But usually by the time they're 30 and their prefrontal cortex develops, they go, that was really stupid. I screwed up. And those guys deserve a second chance. And so I'm a big believer in second chances. I'm also like a big advocate of sort of the underdog because I've been the underdog. And so I feel like I'm just uniquely qualified to like help these guys say, hey, what do you have that you can leverage into your own entrepreneurial journey? Since every time you fill out a job application, people look at the bottom checkbox that you're a felon. So I feel like my skills are just set up to help them. I asked, what is your core business now? And you talk about giving back. Let's just steal the onion and talk the reality. Does that mean right now you're not working and creating a revenue or are you in the same way of giving back, being compensated with money for that mentorship and that guidance? Yeah. So I I do, I run businesses as well, but my businesses are fairly hands-off. So I have one of the largest site plan providers in the US. I've got a very large drafting company. I have about 30 architects that work for me globally and we create site plans for non-certified site construction projects. It was sort of an offshoot of my general engineering company that I had years ago. So that's one source. Another one is an online dirt exchange. I have very sexy businesses, right? We we help contractors, excavators, truckers connect cuts and fills of dirt. And so this has always been a major pain point for us was like whatever would go and we'd have a load of dirt or we need dirt, like connecting the dots of like my the haves and the needs was so hard. And so everybody has like text messages and emails and they all pop them back and forth trying to figure out who's doing what where. So I just created software. And so that's, you know, we've got probably a couple million yards on there, thousands of users. So it's doing quite well. And then I have got my investments and I've got, I've run a book club and I've got other, other startups. On Wait, a book club. I don't think I read about the book club. What is the book club? So it actually goes back to the the formerly incarcerated. And so a lot of these guys, while they were in, got really bored and picked up a love for reading. But a lot of the books that they were reading were just sort of whatever was available to them. And so I'm an avid reader. I've always read and I learned so much. And so I have like a list of like sort of my favorite books. And so we're just going through with them a group on Zoom. Matter of fact, after this call at 5 p.m. in a couple hours, I have my next uh, book club and we're doing The War of Art actually, which is another great book. And so it's just a way to build more skills for them, you know, and to help uh, give them a little bit more guidance of like, you know, where to focus their attention. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a good one. And then I got a book, you know, that I've been working on. And so sort of a lot of different things. I I focus a lot on things that excite me at any given time. Yeah. So we'll talk about your upcoming book, The Hustle Trap in a moment, but I want to get back to understand more when you are helping and mentoring these people that you haven't carved out a new business entity that really is a give back. So you're not charging people no, for that no, no. mentorship. Yeah. Some people no, do, no. and that's completely legitimate and great, but I just wanted oh, to clarify. I, 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 so there are other people that are not veterans and not formally incarcerated that do engage me for coaching and mentoring. So I do that as well. But those are people usually who are either have good sized businesses or have already exited a business. And so they can afford me. And as a matter of fact, if I don't charge them, then they don't take it seriously. So I won't engage with them. <laughs> so I'm assuming that these people that you're helping to mentor the veterans and formerly incarcerated are finding you via word of mouth. And is that so? 
No, no, no. So yes, the veterans, yes, but I'm with a group called Defy Ventures and Defy, there's three different things we do. So we go into prisons. And so that's more guys that are getting ready for when they get out. And often, sometimes they won't be getting out for 10 or 20 years. So I don't feel like I have as much impact on the outside, but I feel like it just feels good. Like these guys just haven't had any outside connection in so long. And so it feels good to give them to them. So uh, the next step is the halfway houses where they're often there for six months, a year or two years. And so they have some limited ins and outs. And so we can start testing ideas and then there's after they get out. And so we do things where we connect with them. And then I also have one person in particular who I spend a lot of time with that I'm mentoring just that I was connected with. And he's like my passion project. The guy's like super motivated, got a construction background and just absolutely killing it. And so, and then, so there's that. And then there's the book club. So I, I sort of just do whatever I can do with them. Okay. So let's talk about the hustle trap. Is that still what you're going to be calling the new book that you're doing? Well, yeah, I better. It, we've already okay. gone through the first print and I was just in Austin a week or two ago and I did the audio book. And so, yeah, you, you want me to kind of tell you the sort yes, of top I level? I want to hear all is? about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, and I don't know if you, if you know this part of it, but the earlier part I talked about getting out of the military, I kind of landed on my ass and had to do whatever I had to do to get going. And that was in 1999. And by 2007, I was running a very substantial business, but I was still like leveraging myself, working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, like just doing what I thought that I knew best. And it was kind of holding my business back. And then one morning, July 3rd, I got run over by a truck. A one-time dually crew cap truck pulling a trailer, ran me over, drug me down the street underneath it, hit another car, jackknifed. I pulled myself out. My legs were a tangled mess. I'm looking at my femur as sticking out of my jeans. You, you, no one should ever have to see that. I can hardly breathe because my, my ribs nope. had broken and stuck into my, my lungs shattered shoulder like i was dying anyhow i ended up getting to the trauma center fast enough to save my life but after 12 hours of trauma surgery i wake up ironically on july 4th independence day and i've lost all of my independence like i was you know everything that i had leveraged my strength and the ability to like work hard and like i couldn't do it anymore and so i spent the next two years going through surgery like i think six different surgeries and like putting my body back together and it was like either i was going to lose my business or I was going to find a new way. And so I found a new way. And that was the sort of the basis of the hustle trap. And the hustle trap being like that sort of where I was before I got run over. Like the business was completely stunted. It was very successful from coming from nothing to something, but it was never going to go to the next level with me being the way that I was. And so until I literally got took hit the by a truck. To, to yeah, swoop in and like, to, you're not hearing us. You're not hearing us. We'll take care of this. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> literally got run over by a truck. And then it was, then I was like, oh, oh, okay, I get it. And so by some miraculous measure, I was able to save the business and saving the business actually ended up starting several new businesses out of that business. And as it does. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. And so when, it's funny when you actually take time, to, you know, when you're running a business and you take time and sit back and look at it as an observer, you're like, wow, I built something really cool. And there's a ton of stuff. There's so much opportunity in there that I couldn't see when I was just stuck on the inside. And so that was a revelation for me. I, I'm right there with you, right there with you. So I've seen you, I've met you in person and you don't move about the world physically like you got smashed by a truck. What do you attribute to a great recovery? Uh, and well, is it such a great recovery? I mean, I'm seeing you from yeah. my own two eyes, but I'm not feeling any cricks or pains. 
Yeah. So I have titanium rods in both legs. I've got a plate in my shoulder. I, I think I've, I've dislocated both of my biceps. So I've got screws that are in there. And like, as long as I stay strong, I'm not a cripple. If I start to let myself go, I'm a cripple. And so I'm very, very careful. I make sure, I mean, I walk at least a couple miles every day. I've got one of those tonals at home. So I do my tonal workout every day and I, I've got a pull-up bar. I do my pull-ups and push-ups. I don't do anything crazy, but I got to keep my body strong. I've got a 12 year old and a two year old at home. Like I can't let them get out, outpower me and me up. Like I got to stay strong. So yeah, you're going to be, uh, so I try, be good I, chasing them around for a while. Yeah. There's a lot of work to get me to where I am. Uh, yeah. So for the book, I'm going to assume your target demographic are working entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, probably the entrepreneur that's working way too much. What is your hope? And well, first of all, what's your plan on getting the word out? to those people? And what is your hope at the back end of what does success look like? Sure. So I'd say my target is probably somebody who's got a business that's maybe doing between a half a million and two and a half million. They've Mm -hmm. started from ground zero. They've been very, very successful. They're probably already in the top 1% of entrepreneurs, but you often hear those people that like getting super frustrated. Like I want to sell my business. It's just crazy. And like, it gets to a point where it's unmanageable if you don't take the steps to move to the next level. And so I'm hoping that I can, without having to get someone run over by a truck, teach them some of the steps that it takes to take it to the next level. And so um, so I've got a conference I'm speaking at next month in Chicago, who's exactly that demographic. So I'm going I'm, I'm to teach some lessons to them about some of the, and see how it starts to resent, like yeah, how people are using it. And hopefully I can just dig some people out of the hustle trap. And give them the freedom that they deserve because doing what would you do, getting a business from like zero to a million, like bravo, but you deserve now to like access what that next level of, which is the freedom and the autonomy that entrepreneurship buys you. Yeah. I figured that out finally, personally, but it did take forever to get there. And it may have taken a pandemic to really drill it in. We'll talk about that one-on-one. And then the outcome, I can imagine what you would like the outcome to be is are you building a business or a coaching or services or products at the back end of the book? Depends what people want from me. If that's what they ask for, then I will do that. The whole idea of this in the beginning was like, you know, I and people have been telling me this for a long time. Like I've run a, a lot of business. I don't know, probably on my eighth business now. And some people are like, you really should just write a book. Like I'd love to hear more. And so I started there. And so I started this almost two years ago, just journaling and writing down stuff. And then, so it's been a process and it's, by the way, it's not a long book. It's a really short book Mm -hmm. and intentionally. So it's only like about 150 pages because I realized that a lot of people start books, but don't finish them. So I'm like, maybe at least you can finish it and it'll get you on a new path. So I'm doing some more speaking and a little bit more podcasting, you know, I'm doing a little bit more coaching, but I'll let the people decide if people take my book and they say, Hey, this worked really well to start a fire during the winter time to keep myself warm, (laughs) you know, then so be it. Good sense of humor there. Are you a published author? Have you always thought you had a book inside of you? Have other people told you you've got to write a book? If so, I highly suggest you work with us at Poignant Press. We can help you write. Figure out the best publishing path and market your book to a bestseller status. Go to poignantpress.com. That's P-O-I-G-N-A-N-T press.com. So you talk about a strategy that you can help any entrepreneurial audience and and you have three key points. Do you want to walk us through that? So we'll spend some learning and education time here. 
I'll back up and I'll say not for every entrepreneur. I'll say that I'm more for a bootstrapped entrepreneur. So if you're a tech entrepreneur that's more concerned about pitch decks and pitching to VCs and raising money, then don't touch my book because it'll be completely worthless to you. This is about people who actually are growing real businesses and like so from the ground up. And so the overall is number one mindset is like you got to fix that first because most small business people, I'll say a lot anyhow, have issues around money. You know, sometimes around family issues, around money, about some sort of, you know, people say scarcity mindset or abundance, like, like be understanding that you're entitled to it and that your time is a limited asset where money is abundant. It's everywhere. No one really knows how much of it is, but there's a lot of money out there and how, so it kind of goes into how you leverage your time in a way that we were never able to in the past. You know, my father owned a business, my grandfather, my great grandfather, they're all entrepreneurs. They all work for themselves, but they never had the tools that we have today to leverage yourself. I can leverage myself a hundred times over. I've got on my behalf on any given day, I probably have, I don't know, hundreds of hours of work getting done on my behalf because I've got good systems and good people and I'm able to live a free, flexible life. And then, you know, I go into a lot about the ways that I structure my companies. I structure them very flat. I don't like hierarchy. I don't like middle managers. I like everybody just to be- I don't either. Can you explain to me in a nutshell, just to me, if anyone else is listening, great, but I have a pretty flat organization, but to scale and grow even further- I'm feeling like there needs to be a little more. Tell me what you think about that. So my structure is really good for growing a $10 million business. It's probably not good for growing a hundred million or a billion dollar business. Maybe with AI, maybe things are changing a little bit, but having middle managers to me seems like in my experience, I don't want people that I have to manage and I don't want to hire people to manage people. That's babysitting. And so I want to hire competent people. And that way, that salary that you would be paying to the middle manager Mm. can now trickle down to those people. Mm -hmm. I create very clear brackets about what their job is and how where they should function within, but give them freedom and flexibility within those brackets because I've hired them because I trust them. I put the same care into hiring a person or bringing them into my organization that I do to like watching my two-year-old. This is my baby. And it's not just a, hey, I'm going to put something on Craigslist and hire the first five people that apply. Like I've got processes. I spend a lot of money making sure that everyone I bring on my team is going to be a good member of the team. And so that part was really serious. How many people have you been successful having in an organization that remains pretty flat? I have about 40, 45 people right now. And, That's a lot. Uh, and That's we're, a lot we're, for that. I like yeah, that. We're, we're flat. We're flat. And so in my book, I also talk about the ways that I align all of our, to make sure we're all aligned, that, that you know, the customer is happy and the employee is happy and that I'm happy and that we create feedback loops within my business to ensure that. And so I have a couple of examples of these types of feedback loops. And then also avoiding the other way is like these negative feedback loops that encourage people to do bad behaviors in any business, really being aware of those. I go into some points about different triggers. I've got a lot of triggers built to my business because when you're a entrepreneur like myself, where I spend very little time on my business, I need to know when something goes wrong. And so I set triggers and I have like a certain metrics that I review every morning. It takes me about a minute or so to go through, make sure everything's in check. And so these are all things that'll happen if suddenly you're getting hit by a truck and you disappear and you have to call one person and say, I'm not going to be there for the next couple of months. Like what the systems, what would it take for your business to continue rolling? And that's where I set my business up to. And so did that answer that you said three main, did I go over Yeah, so you talked, you talked about don't have a job, take one day off a week as a visionary, create a daily email to yourself. So walk us through those three things. 
Okay. Yeah. So your job is to not have a job. And when you do have a job, your job is to get out of that job as soon as possible. Like the whole hustle thing, you hustle as a means to an end. So you're like, I've got this problem in my business and I've been spending five hours a week on this project and I've been doing it for two years. It's like, well, then stop it and work like 50 hours a week until this is resolved and you fixed it and you can check out. And that's the big one for me is that anything you have in your day that you do like repetitively, you should not be doing. That's not your job. And identifying what those things are and not to say you need to go and like just sit on a mountaintop meditating somewhere. Like you should honor what it is you want to do, but you should do everything. Basically, when you wake up for your job every day, you could decide whether or not you want to work or whether or not you're feeling inspired. And so for me, I do four hours a day of work, meaning I sit in an office for from like eight until noon every day. And then that's it. And I only work on things that are like, like I study, um, like right now I'm, I'm studying AI to get a better understanding of it. I'm reading different books. I'm you know, looking at different systems within my business, what I could improve, but none of it is like, I'm answering phone calls and like yelling at employees. And like, like I, I don't engage in that at all. Well, me either, thankfully. So anyone listening to this, this is two people that have proven I work about four hours a day too, and it's on the business, not in it. So good for you. And then take one day off a week as a visionary or a rest day. At least that's a starting point. And this is like, I always tell people just like, don't tell anybody, just like maybe call your office back. I'm not coming in. Why? I don't know your business. Why? We're just not coming in. And then when they call you with emergencies, just wait like four hours to call them back. <laughs> and it's almost always been resolved. I learned this actually when I ran a construction company, people used to call me, they would call me constantly bombarding me with questions. Hey, Ryan, I'm stuck with this. I'm stuck with that. Mm-hmm. And finally, I was like, guys, I've had enough. And so I said, listen, when you have a problem, I want you to call me and tell me the three things you've already tried. And after you do that, then we'll talk through a solution. And literally my phone stopped ringing. Like they just, they were like, oh, and at the end of the day, they come to the office, be like, I tried this, this. And, and then the third thing was this and it worked. And like, they'd be so proud of themselves. So I was empowering them and I was freeing my time up. And so, yeah. Right. And you may have talked about this before, but you said create a daily email to yourself with critical metrics, financial advertising, Google analytics. Is that what you look at every morning? Yes, I do. So I use a software, it's called Glue. It's like, it digs into all of my places and I can aggregate a lot of data. And so it will give me my, you know, what did I spend on advertising? What was my conversion rate? What was my sales? What was my ad spend? What was it? And it goes through a list of all these things. And when you look at it every single morning, you get very familiar with those numbers. And so if something is off, like if one day you see your conversion rate goes from 5% to 1%, like you're like, what the heck? And so you go and you reach out and you talk to your SEO person, your SEM person and say, find out what this is. And they come back and go, you know, there was an article that was written up about your company company that was a non-related place of people who weren't going to convert. So it was a, it was a surge of traffic, but it's fine. It like you're, the, the, everything was converting right in the right demographic and you go, okay, nothing to worry about. Or maybe there was something on a landing page, like a checkout that was like turning people off and you need to know about that immediately. And so me having that daily to look through and not relying on someone else for those, that's the most important part for me. Mm-hmm. I like that idea of glue. I'll have to look up that. G-L-E-W. Oh, yes. Very clever. All right. So lastly, you've done a million different things that we've talked about. And this is very typical for highly functioning, creative entrepreneurs. You're not special. I have to tell you right now, you are very special. But great. This is what is very exciting about people that are able to do what they want to do 
when they want to do it. But you have this other interest that we haven't even spoken about, and it's blockchain, Mm -hmm. right? So it looked like you started becoming interested in that in 2013. It really came up and surged, and then it's the highs and lows, and then the NFT world has come. I'm not sure if it's gone, but certainly all eyes are on AI now, Mm -hmm. where all eyes were on NFTs a couple of years ago. Talk to me about your interest and your experience within that whole world. Yeah. So whenever something comes about that I am interested in, I dedicate a hundred hours to learning about it. And so right now I'm in my hundred hours of AI and back in like 2013, I probably wasn't at the hundred hours yet, but it was like five hours. Like, what is this, you know, white paper by Satoshi? Like the economy was all weird. It kind of made sense. And then following it along the way, to be honest, from between 2013 and 2017, not a whole lot. Like I understood what Bitcoin was. It was interesting. And I bought a few of them. And then Ethereum came out with the smart contract contracts in 2017. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's, this is really interesting. You know, the idea of programmable I love money. That. And, yes. and so it did a pretty deep dive there. And then when NFTs came out, same thing, like the utility of them as far as the transfer of, of electronic uh, digital products was really interesting as well, just because we are moving more into a digital world. I've done some work with the crypto companies, a publicly traded company, I've worked with them on their blockchain training alliance, which is amazing. If you're trying to learn anything about blockchain, I stay away from all the speculative stuff for the most part. This is just about the educational side. And then one of my friends is uh, is an astronaut, Scott Kelly. And me, so me and Scott have talked quite a bit about crypto over the years and having dinner with him back in 2022. And he's got all these beautiful pictures from space on his walls and stuff. We started to have this conversation. He's also very passionate about, you know, the, um, because, you know, he was a, a, with the cosmonauts and he's very, you know, connected to the Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he was very, very pro Ukraine. And so we had this conversation and he and said, well, what could we do? And so we put together this amazing artwork and we went and did a fundraiser for Ukraine. We raised a half a million dollars in six hours yeah. and sent all the money over there, which is really cool. Matter of fact, even on the uh, the pallets, when they were tripping across border, they took our artwork and plastered them on the side of the pallets, which was really, really cool. So I probably, you know, like everybody else, I think I've backed away some on the crypto stuff because it's been very, very volatile, like as far as the regulatory environment and obviously mm-hmm. everything that happened with. Sam Bankman freed. And I mean, there's rot with fraud. And, you know, whenever there's a lot of money, fraud's going to follow. But there's a lot of utility there underneath. And I think actually with AI, the emergence of AI, I think those two are going to start marrying together in a new kind of way. So it's good that the hype cycle for crypto is over because this is actually when the growth happens. And so I'm still excited about it. But as far as the speculation, I just don't care. For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? Go to my website, natashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.